Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Influence. What is influence? What is the power of influence? Is it the ability to persuade others to buy your product? Is it convincing someone to live your lifestyle? Is it gaining the trust of followers to advance your agenda? Or is it something more? Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Influence is important, folks. We started this series last week, The Anatomy of an Influencer, and we're really talking about the life of Nehemiah. And uh, last week we got into how he was a man of prayer, and we saw that, Nehemiah as a man of prayer. And it caused him to be an influencer. And I I don't think I can overstate it. I don't think I can say it enough. If you don't start with the foundation of prayer in your life, you're not going to get anywhere. Not when it comes to building this kingdom. Not when it comes to to, to living out the, uh, the, the purposes and plans that God has for you. It starts with prayer as the absolute foundation. There is no shortcut There's no going around that and and avoiding it. You must pray. Influencers in the kingdom of God are always prayers. And church, do we wanna be influencers in our community, in our county, in our world, in our circle of influences? Do you wanna be an influencer? Amen. That's what we're called to do, right? It starts with prayer, absolutely. John Maxwell says, and he's probably one of the the best when it comes to the subject of leadership, and I I quoted him saying this last week, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. Every single one of you is called to be a leader, and every single one of you is called to have influence. Influence. It's important. Leadership doesn't exist without influence, and every Christian, again, is called to be a leader. Nehemiah, great example of this, great example of of being a man who who became a leader and influenced his his whole world. Last week we read about him and he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes and that he was, again, a man of prayer. Nehemiah prayed through the burden that he had for Jerusalem and God directed every one of his steps as he carried out the will of God for his life. We talked about how he had prayed four to six months regarding what to do with this burden he had for his home. Then King Artaxerxes asked him why he was sad because Nehemiah had been, he couldn't hide it anymore. There was a burden upon his heart and he had never been sad in the king's presence before and Nehemiah tells him and and also asks him for letters to governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they would give him safe travel. He wanted to go back to his homeland. He wanted to go back and and begin to rebuild what had been torn down. And, And folks, that may sound like something way far back in time and it doesn't apply to us today, but honestly, can you think of anything that maybe the devil has tore down, the enemy has tore down in your life and you'd like to see it rebuilt again? Because that's what this is all about. I know how the devil works. He's a sly, slithering snake that can't do anything but tell lies. And he destroys lives at every chance he can get. Gets them addicted, gets them messed up in the head, messed up in their emotions. 
and things are tore down in their life and that God-given purpose that was instilled in, the, in, in maybe you from the time that you were an infant because of what the devil has done sometimes gets, gets broke down, it gets, it gets taken down, it gets wrecked. But we serve a God who restores. That's what we're talking about in this series, becoming the influencer that you've always been created to be. Nehemiah, again, asks for letters to trans-Euphrates so he could have safe travel back to his homeland where his people had been exiled to Babylon and taken out of Jerusalem. He also asked for a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he would give him timber to make beams for the gates of his own house. It's interesting, this, this cupbearer to the king, this, this guy, Nehemiah, he not only gets this idea, this 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 unbelievable burden because of prayer in his heart to go back and, and rebuild Jerusalem. He asked king for safe travel and he asked his king for uh, the timber to do it. Pretty amazing. Then in Nehemiah 2, 8, we see that the gracious hand of God was upon Nehemiah and because of this, the king granted all of Nehemiah's requests. So within our series on Nehemiah, the anatomy of an influencer, the first thing we saw, we talked about it last week, in his influential life is that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And today I wanna to zero in on the next thing we see in Nehemiah that made him an influencer, and it was that he was a man of vision. Nehemiah was a man of vision. It's obvious that Nehemiah, because of his prayer life, had a vision that was unfaltering. And notice that he was a man of prayer before he was a man of vision. I, I told you, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it again. Prayer has to proceed. It has to be the foundation. And I believe this is the same for us today. If you wanna be a true influencer for the kingdom of God, prayer must precede vision, or the vision you have will be sourced in you and what you want instead of the Lord and what he wants. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. I mean, think of this. He had never even been there. The Israelites had been ex exiled from Jerusalem for 70 years before King Cyrus from Persia defeated the Babylonian Empire. And many more years passed, many more passed before Nehemiah actually began his journey back. Think of that. He had a vision for restoring a city that he had never been to. It was already generations removed from him. We're talking about his great-grandfather, his great-great-great-grandfather even. Amazing that God would give him vision to rebuild this city that he had never even been to. He had already had position as a cupbearer to the king. He had, he had a good life. Everything he needed was provided for him. He was living the good life. Why leave it all and go back to a ruined city to build? Why be so passionate to do that, a city he'd never even been to? He didn't know anything to Jerusalem, yet he wept for his people and the city that was once so great. He did this because it was his God-given vision. Church, we all need to get a God-given vision. And let me just talk about vision for a moment. If you have never had a kingdom-minded vision for your life, it's about time that you get one. It's about time that you get one. And yes, I'm talking to you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian. 
I'm talking to you, teenager. Get a vision for what God would have you do with your time and your talents and even your finances, your stuff, whatever it is. Get a vision for what God would have you do with that, a vision for his kingdom. Get a vision, a kingdom vision, birthed in prayer and begin to go for it like never before. It could be big. It could be difficult. It could be a stepping stone to something bigger. But let that God-given vision get deep down deep inside your spirit till you can't sleep at night until you accomplish it. See, we let all sorts of things keep us up all night. We worry, we stress. When's the last time the excitement of a God-given vision kept you up all night and you just couldn't stop getting, I mean, being excited, praying? I mean, the bed's shaking, your spouse is going, what is going on with you? I'm just excited. I'm excited for what God wants to do with me and wants to do with you and wants to do with us. God-given visions. We need God-given visions. Can I say this? You owe it to God to do something for the kingdom. Salvation's free, I get that. But if you understand how much he's done for you, how much he has given you through the cross... You won't be able to do anything else than to build his kingdom through the kingdom-building vision that he gives you through prayer. It's not somebody else's job, church. It's not for those whom you have deemed more qualified or talented than yourself. You have an obligation because you were purchased at a high price. Your salvation was not cheap. It's time you pursue whatever vision you are supposed to pursue and not just sit on the shelf being satisfied. Nehemiah was not, I mean, he could have. He had the good life. Let's just sit back and enjoy. I got stuff. I, got, I work in a high position for the king. Everything's going good. I don't need to rock the boat. I don't need to ruffle any feathers. But he had a God-given vision. And he was never going to be happy until he started to work towards accomplishing that. And I say to you today, you will never be happy until you start stepping out and trying to accomplish what God has put in your heart. You'll never find real joy. You'll never have happiness like you could have. You'll have moments of little spurts of happiness, probably, but you'll never experience what God really wants you to experience, and that's the abundant life. It could be deep down, that deep down inside you, you've always known that you were called to the mission field. Do you know we can help you do that? I was called at a young age to the mission field and I never did it. We can help you get there, church. We should be sending more missionaries out from this church than what we have. And I'm not talking about even just uh, missions trips, I'm talking about missionaries. This church in the past has produced a lot of pastors, produced a lot of great leaders in the church, but you know what? We can produce missionaries more than we ever have before. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Me? Yeah, you. I don't know if I could do that. Do you serve a big God? You could do that. It happens all the time. I'm on the missions committee for our district. I do uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, interviews with new missionaries and, and then basically approve them for the field. And you know where those missionaries come from? Almost all of them 
are coming from other churches, not from Assemblies of God churches in our district, that people just like you that said, you know what, it's time I do something different. I'm going on the mission field. I feel called. It's pretty amazing. They're not coming out of Bible school doing that. A lot of them are coming from Chi Alpha ministries on our campuses. Do you guys understand what Chi Alpha is? Chi Alpha is a missions organization that we support in our district. They have Bible studies on our secular campuses. We support missionaries who work those campuses and win kids to Jesus, win college students to Jesus. I love college ministry. I'm a product of it. Someone found me, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. It could be that you are supposed to start a home for unwed mothers. I don't know. It could be that you are to finally become the undistracted prayer warrior that you're called to be. Maybe you're supposed to start your own business that will make you far more successful than you are now, and that success is to be used for the glory of God. Maybe you're to become a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, a hospice care worker. Man, praise God for hospice care workers. Maybe you're supposed to become a teacher. How many know it'd be awesome if we flooded our public schools with Christian teachers? Woo, that'd be good. Maybe you're supposed to become politically involved and run for office or volunteer at a greater level. Maybe your vision is to preach to kids or teach them the things of God. Maybe it's to be used in sharing your heart with youth or street evangelizing. Maybe God has called you to write a book or even pastor a church. I actually believe that most of the people who cause problems in churches, everybody ever know anybody like that? Most of the people who cause problems in church are people who have refused to step into the vision that God has planted, or planted in them. And so the frustration they feel from that is projected on the spiritual leadership of the church they attend. I totally believe that. I don't know what kind of crazy, awesome vision that God has put way down deep inside of you. But are you going to just sit there and let it rot away? Or are you going to get off your spiritual gluteus maximus and go after it? See, there's no more red. I'm not as angry as I used to be. I just, that red makes you, supposed to make you angry and hungry, right? So you've had a hangry pastor for a long time. No, I said gluteus maximus. I might not have said that with red carpet. I mean, if God has planted a vision in you, isn't he big enough to help it come to fruition through you? Come on, church. I know. I know. Most people, and hear me, most people are buried with their God-given dreams still in them. And that's sad. One of our core values in this church is fulfilling potential. And we're all about helping you reach your God-given vision. That brings us to chapter 2, verse 9 in Nehemiah. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. This is Nehemiah stepping out, leaving his position, leaving his comfort zone, if you will, and going out and, and uh, going back to Jerusalem. And he, he went to the governors of trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters that were supposed to give them safe travel. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now, you notice Nehemiah didn't even ask for that. 
God's such an awesome God, he'll give you more than you even asked for. Sends army officers in Calvary with him. And when Sanballat, the, the Horonite, and Do, uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Everybody say, very much disturbed. Okay? That someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Who are, who's promoting the welfare of these guys? These people were beat years ago. Their, their, their city is sacked. We've got them spread out all over. They've been exiled all over the place, the Israelites. Who's, who's working on their behalf? They didn't like it. And if you were watching this story as a movie with sound effects and all, this is the part of the movie that it would go dun, dun, dun. Because the plot just thickened. These guys who were supposed to give him safe travel because of the letters he gave him didn't like the fact that he was doing something to go back to Jerusalem. Let me tell you something about Nehemiah as a man of vision. We see it here in his story. Number one, if you're a person of vision, we got any people of vision in here today? Oh, there's like two and a half. Who woke up this morning with half a vision? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Who's got vision in this place? Amen? Vision to do something that God has called you to do. You know, the Bible says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little um, hiatus from my notes. Is that all right? There's a version of, of, of uh, Scripture in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, the people... Perish. There's another version that says, where there is no vision, the people cast off all restraint. And I love that version because what it's saying is, when you have no vision, no God-given vision, you tend to cast off restraint. Restraint from what? Restraint from doing the dumb stuff that keeps you from getting to where God's vision, or where, where God's vision is, to accomplishing it. How many know that if you just live in sin, God's vision gets further and further from you. You cast off restraint. It doesn't matter. But when you have that vision right in front of you and it's big and it's bold and you're focused on it, you're not gonna do anything over here to mess it up because you want that thing. It's passionate within you. Like Nehemiah had to go back to Jerusalem. What we see here, and we can learn from him, that as you step out, as you go out to achieve that vision that God's called you to achieve, distractions are inevitable. You will be distracted from that vision. And these guys, again, they were not happy about God's people restoring the city of Jerusalem. And some things never change. Step out in faith to build God's kingdom and you will have those who don't like it start coming out of the woodwork to distract you. Don't be surprised by that. If you've got a vision that has been birthed in prayer and you know it's time to step out and pursue it, be ready for those who don't care for what you are doing. Nehemiah was obviously not distracted from his vision because of these guys, and we shouldn't be either. We shouldn't get distracted. The practical point here is that there are those who don't want you to succeed in all that God has for you. These officials, as we see, tried to cause great distraction to the work Nehemiah and his people were engaged in. That's why prayer is so important. You gotta know, you gotta know, you gotta know that that vision is from God and not just yours, right? Because if you know, it'll keep you from being distracted by those people. 
that don't want you to succeed. And when I, when I first got saved, uh, a mentor in my life said to me that up until now, it's been like you're floating down river as if you're a dead fish. Ever, anybody ever see dead fish float down a river? Just kind of... And it's really easy because everyone else seems to be dead fish floating too. We're just all floating down the river together, right? Before we're saved. Everybody do that, just kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> You're just floating down the river with the rest of the crowd. Then you come to Christ and he begins to breathe life into you and you turn around and you start swimming against the current because you were created to swim against the current. But the first thing you run into when you turn around is dead fish. And then you're like hook, dodging and trying to swim around and they keep banging into you. They bump you, push at you, and try to keep you from getting ahead. They don't want you to swim upstream because it makes them feel guilty that they're not swimming upstream. Everyone is happy when everyone is just floating, right? You getting the visual here? But when someone starts swimming, it opens their eyes to the truth that they could swim too if they chose to. They just don't want to. And this is true when you first get saved, but sadly, it's true at every level you turn and try to make headway up the stream of abundant life that God has for you. Even Christians can try and hold you back sometimes. Don't let anyone steal the dream or distract you from the vision that God has placed in your heart. Don't let anybody steal your God-given vision. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't get wise counsel, that you shouldn't listen to people that are in authority over you, that can speak good things into your life. You will never hear from me, that's a stupid idea, we're not doing it. Or you should never even think about that. I might say, you got a ways to go and let's lay some foundational things. But I'm never gonna poo-poo on someone's dream when it's God-given and they believe it's God-given. Understand, church, there's a lot of people that do that, though. Nehemiah had a vision he wanted his homeland to be rebuilt. He wanted his people to not be ashamed and ridiculed any longer. The devil was already laying a trap or distraction for him. Nehemiah probably had no idea this was happening, but it didn't matter either way because he had already bathed all of this in prayer. He, his trust had been rightly placed and it was in the Lord. Distractions will try to bump you off the road to accomplishing God's vision in your life, but don't worry about them. Be patient. And let God work out the details. This is a principle that will work if you don't try to take shortcuts. And church, I'm, I'm, I just need to talk out of my, my, my own experience. When I came here to this church, many of you know, it's a great bunch of people that were here. There wasn't very many people here. Pastor Calloway was here and he did a lot for the growth of this church. I praise God for Pastor Calloway and all that he did here all those years because he did, he did a wonderful work here for eight years. There's no doubt, great leader, great mentor to me. But when I first came here, there was no money. There was quite a bit of debt. There was a big building, 52,000 square feet this building is, and it was run down. Everything mechanical was broken. Why would, and I, and, and I think I brought my parents here, and my dad's pretty mechanical, and he's like, well, there's a lot of work here. 
But honestly, all I could see was room after room after room being used for God's glory. It was like a God-given vision that just got in me. And you know, you think about, I think about this. We didn't like the red carpet the moment I walked in. And, and <laughs> not because red is so terrible or the people that picked it out in the 80s were bad people. They, it was probably beautiful in the 80s. But sometimes things change, like pretty much all the time, right? So by the time I came here, I was not emotionally attached to the carpet. Um, and it just was really loud. It was like, whoa, that's loud. I wish I had a piece of it. Actually, I don't. So, and you could think, and this is just on a, on a, on a real small thing, part of, part of my vision for even this church was to get this building back to shape. And in 17 years, you got to be patient, okay? There's a patience that comes. You can't do it when there's no money, right? You can't do it when there's no people. Some people said, well, how come the carpet was so nice in such great shape after 39 years? And And I wanted to say for 25 of it, and hardly anybody walked on it. There's truth in that. But there was a long road. I remember standing on the roof of this sanctuary with Roy Screen, and it was the roof was leaking, and there was all this spray foam all over the roof, and it, it was supposed to help, and it was the, the solve to, to, to stop the leaking, but they didn't know at the time that birds would come by, peck holes in the foam, and then the, the, the foam would swell up with water and become Indianola and Warren County's largest sponge, <laughs> which did not help the roof. Understand? We're like, how are we going to get this off? Well, I remember, what, it was 12 years ago on an Easter Sunday. Um, God chose to blow a third of this roof off. You, you couldn't see it from in here. But um, we had waterfalls in here. There was a big piano here. We had a 50-gallon uh, uh, garbage can catching water on top of the grand piano. There was so much water coming in. It was Easter Sunday. You remember that, anybody? It was awesome, right? We were like, let's baptize somebody, right? <laughs> there was a harpist over here, and there was like, it was like the Titanic, and they were playing music as... The ship was going down. And God used that because we were able to get a new roof in the sanctuary. It hasn't leaked since. And just different things along the way, different people who've given so much in volunteer and finances or whatever to fix this place up, and it's continuing to get fixed. There's more to do. I remember sitting there thinking, how are we ever going to have a parking lot where people aren't going to fall into it because this is expensive? In church, we paid cash for the parking lot. I mean, I think about what God has done in the last 17 years, and my mind is blown. But God-given visions, when they get deep down inside of you because you've been praying, and it's not just about a building, okay? It's not. I, I, it's just, this is just brick and mortar. Who cares about that, right? But it does leave a place, a center for this community, for our county to come and be ministered to. I mean, these dreams get down inside of you. If they're God-given, they're going to come to fruition. But be patient. Don't get distracted. Don't think it's never going to happen. It can happen. It can happen. It just takes a long time sometimes. Can't take shortcuts most of the time. Doesn't work that way. A pastor recently said, hey, you, you to me, he said, you ought to... Uh, 
you ought to join in with our church and you could be our southern campus. And I said, why would I want to do that? Well, we got a great thing going. I said, the only reason you want us to be your southern campus is so we can share your debt. (laughs) That's how pastors talk to one another. We just kind of back and forth, right? But I know churches that have no problem taking out $2 million loans. Church, we're sitting good. God has done something amazing here, not just with this sanctuary remodel, but with the whole thing. And he's not just putting a building back together. Man, he's put the church back together spiritually. There are people getting saved. There are people getting delivered. There are people getting set free. Some of you are bringing your neighbors and they're finding Christ for the first time. It's an incredible thing. When, when, when we allow ourselves to get distracted from the vision God's given you, you'll miss all that. What a joy it is to see, to start to see this vision come to fruition. Nehemiah 2, 11 through 12. says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. They knew he was going to Jerusalem. They knew he was gonna rebuild his house. Some guys had an inkling, but he never really said, I'm rebuilding the city. It's interesting. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And number two, so this is number two. When it comes to vision, uh, number one is distractions are inevitable. Number two, be careful who you share your vision with. I love the wisdom that Nehemiah displays here. He has bathed this vision from God that had totally consumed him because of his prayer life. He's bathed it in prayer. He he knew that he knew that he knew that this was God's vision for his life. And he didn't tell anybody. No one knew what God had put in his heart, not the full vision. No one knew his big picture vision. And this was wisdom because it allowed Nehemiah to work and get started without the Monday morning quarterbacks telling him why it wouldn't work. There's a huge difference, and yet it can be a fine line between what is God's vision for your life and a really good Christian idea, by the way. I was, uh, I just said a little bit ago, I was saved in college um, through a group on my campus, Campus Crusade for Christ, where I really dedicated my life to the Lord and I was never the same. But during those years, I remember, and, and since then, I, I remember so many Christians that had all these great Christian ideas about ministries they should start, Christian bands that would travel, which I did for a while, drama teams that ministered in area churches, prayer ministries that would evolve into 24-hour prayer chains and people praying around the clock, worship groups that would host concerts of worship that would last late into the evening and other ministry ideas. I've heard tons of them over the years. None of these were bad, understand. They were all probably pretty good ideas. They were very good, uh, and, and they, they were all very good, and some may have been birthed even through, through uh, God-given vision, maybe. But many were just good Christian ideas. Never forget that the greatest enemy of best is good. Don't let good Christian ideas keep you from the best work or vision that God has for you. The motive behind these ideas are always the litmus test to tell whether they are from God or from man. Motives like pride, self-glory, or maybe it's just easier to be a part of a ministry that they are themselves in charge of than to come underneath somebody else's spiritual authority. I don't know what other fleshly motives there might be. I'm sure there are many, but let me say this. When it's God, when it's a God vision, only God gets the glory and no one else. 
The only thing that's in it for us is, well done, thy good and faithful servant someday. We may get to hear that. Let me say something to you about God's vision for your life. I don't claim to know what it is, but I'll always remember what Henry Blackaby said in his book, Experiencing God. He said that if you want to experience God, look where he's already working and attach yourself to it. Let me ask you something. You may be in here this morning and have all sorts of great Christian ideas, some of which may be God-given vision, but check your motives and look for places he's already at work to attach yourself to it. I can tell you one thing. He's at work here at First Assembly. If you don't believe me, you're blind. Again, there's people literally set free, saved, healed, and delivered every week through the people and the ministries of this church. God is working in lots of places, no doubt, but he's certainly working right here. Nehemiah avoided this, talking to people about his vision too much, being distracted by holding his God-given vision close and not sharing it until it was the right time. There's a timing thing here that's so important. From Nehemiah 2, 13 through 15, we see him visiting the walls and the gates. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. He's assessing the situation after he gets to Jerusalem. How much work does he have to do? How is he going to get this done? Then in 2, 17 through 18, he inspires the people to join him. This is where he shares his vision with the people. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. He shared at the right time. People got on board and they started to get her done. In verse 19, we see that as Sen uh, Balat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem uh, the Arab heard of it, this is what they did. These guys that, that were distracting him, they laughed at them when they heard the whole vision. They laughed at them and despised them. Again, the naysayers will always be right there to trip you up. Nehemiah responds to them by verbally putting his trust in the Lord in verse 20. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will have no share in Jerusalem or any claim to its historic right to it. He speaks so boldly, and understand, you can never do that if you don't start it with prayer. Because you won't really know if it's you or if it's God. It's got to be birthed in prayer. Then you can speak boldly as he did. Nehemiah, a man of prayer and a man of vision, he held on to that vision in spite of the inevitable distractions that came his way. He held on to the God-given vision by wisely not sharing it with everyone before the timing was right. And again, he was only able to do this because of the foundation of prayer that his entire life was built on. And he influenced these people. See what they said? Let's start rebuilding. I mean, who wants to say, let's go to work? We're not going to get paid, but let's go to work. He influenced them. You know, I wonder how many um, broken God dreams there are represented in this place. Maybe you've been hurt by a church or a spiritual leader. Maybe that leader didn't even know that they hurt you. Maybe you were too sensitive to begin with. That could be. It doesn't really matter now because that hurt you experienced has stifled that God-given vision that you once had. 
Worship team, would you come forward? Church, I want to ask this message. I want to ask if this message is spoken to you in any way at all. I want you to come forward and make a declaration today. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you feel a tug at your heart to finally give in to him. Maybe your need to rededicate your life is is just evident. It's just evident. And maybe you need to repent for putting yourself on the spiritual shelf and not stepping out and pursuing the vision that he has has given you. Maybe you're realizing that it's time to be an influencer, the influencer that he's called you to be, an influencer within his kingdom. And I want to do this today. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. And I want you to just think about that God-given vision that you once had. Maybe it's huge and it just seems ridiculous. That's okay. God does huge things through people. Look through the Bible. I mean, the most unlikely people, that's the people God used, right? Over and over and over again. It doesn't have to be big to be God. That's true too. But I want you to think about what that vision is just for a second. I want you to start picturing it. What has he called you to? What are you passionate about? Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.